Good morning. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38 this morning. If you need a Bible, we'll have ushers coming down the aisles and you can slip a hand up. They'll get you a Bible you can use this morning. Um, there should be a code you can scan uh, somewhere, maybe on the screens or in your bulletin that will take you to you version. Uh, so if you use an electronic version, that would be great as well. Mark 8, 34 through 38, we encourage everybody to be in the Word of God. How's everybody doing this morning? You know, yeah, it's, it's pretty full house again. And uh, how many of you enjoyed the one service through the summer? Isn't this been fun? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been amazing. It's almost over. Uh, next week will be our last week for one service, and we'll go back to two services for the fall. But we are so glad that you are here worshiping with us in person this morning, those joining us online as well. In the past 15 years, um, we've had viruses and threats of viruses that have affected our daily lives. I still remember uh, 2009, if you can think back that far, a news report was released telling us that that they anticipate that nearly 50% of all Americans will be infected with the H1N1 virus and that upwards of 90,000 people may die. Remember that? You guys remember that? But there's a virus that has affected Americans more than any other. It has become an epidemic. Few are unaffected. It has severe side effects, leaving people disoriented and confused. It's a virus called sulfitis. I have it. You have it? Once a person is infected, it will affect every part of their life. I mean, after all, the Bible says, I can do whatever I want because Christ will give me the strength, right? That one's false too. The symptoms include a feeling of having the power within to to do whatever you want. It affects the way that we think. I only need God to help me after I've tried really hard myself. It distracts us in such a way that we turn all of our attention towards self and then when all of our attention is on self, uh, it leaves us with no time, no energy, and no desire for God. And and to make matters worse, we are inundated with with all of these self-help resources, TV and books and articles and social media and counsel that we receive. Everywhere we turn, we're being challenged to do life on our own. You have what it takes. We are told that we have the power within us to change our own lives and accomplish whatever we want to accomplish and that the power within us is just waiting to be released. We're instructed that the only person that we can rely upon is self. Who needs God when you have self to lead you? George Barna, a top researcher, reports the following. 7.5 out of 10 Americans at large believe the statement, God helps those who help themselves. 7.5 out of 10 believe that statement, God helps those who help themselves. That's pretty alarming. That's pretty alarming. It's encouraging to know that born again believers are somewhat immune from selfitis. What does he report? 
Well, for born again believers, it's not near 7.5. It's seven out of 10 born again Christians agree with the statement, God helps those who help themselves. And seven out of 10 believers believe that that statement's in the Bible. What's the significance of all this? It reveals how most Christians conceive of the relationship of God. To paraphrase, if I put my shoulder to the wheel, then God will help me. It's the idea that if I first make the first move to reform my life, to change my life, then God will and perhaps is obligated to respond and cooperate with me. Do you know what that means? All of that suggests our relationship with God is conditional. That God is only as concerned with us as we are concerned about ourselves. It means that if you aren't going to try, then God's surely not going to try. Do you remember the statement, have you heard the statement, I can't work harder at your life than you're working at your life? I can't work harder at your life than you're willing to work. Maybe that's true of God. Maybe God is saying to us, I'm not gonna work harder at your life than you're willing to work at your life. But if you work hard at your life, then I will come alongside and work hard at your life. For the record, the statement, God helps those who help themselves, is not in the Bible. We received this present version from Benjamin Franklin who wrote, God helps those who help themselves. And Franklin himself was a deist. And so he believed that God did not play an active role in men's lives. In his point of view, if man was not able to help himself, then man was hopeless. In this passage, Jesus' time was drawing near. This Mark 8, and he calls the crowd over and his disciples over and, and he seized this opportunity, this moment. Jesus knew what he faced. He was well aware of the cross that was awaiting him. He knew that his time was short, therefore he made it a point to waste no more time. The, uh, though the disciples had followed him for years by now, they still had in their mind a different picture. They, they had uh, painted in their mind a, a different image of the end. And they didn't yet understand the full mission of Jesus. So Jesus begins to explain to them his final days and the finality of his purpose and his mission here on this earth. Mark 8, 34 through 38. Number one, if you're following along, know what to expect. And the subpoint, uh, the first subpoint is this, give up control. So verse 34 says this, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, and here's the first one, must deny themselves. Jesus begins with whoever wants to be my disciple, other translations say, if you should come after me, both to say when you figure out that self-itis doesn't work, and when you figure out it's not my job, Jesus saying, to take notice of people who are all about helping themselves first and then come alongside of them and help them only if they fall short and can't go any further. When you figure that out, if you want to be my disciple, if you come after me, if you should decide to follow me, what you will find 
is that all power and all strength and all hope and all direction are in me, not you. Yet another translation says it like this. If anyone wants to come with me, that clearly gives this impression of a journey, Jesus is saying, hey, on this journey, if you wanna come with me, as though to say, whoever is going with me, let's go. But here's the catch. Whoever goes with me must, be, must leave behind self. Jesus was saying, we can't both go. If you're gonna follow me, I want you to know that I'm going to be teaching you how to fully depend on me, how to trust me, how to need me. There is no room for self on this journey. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. That's the first must, there are three of them. If we are left to forget about ourselves, if we are left to deny ourselves, we would never get there. Because we all struggle with self-itis. We are all not capable of dying to self without the help of God. It is impossible to crucify yourself. Not even Jesus could do that. Even this, especially this, we cannot do on our own. In fact, any attempt of us denying self on our own will only magnify self-itis. Jeremiah 17, five says this, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Proverbs 28, 26 says this, those who trust in themselves are fools but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. So to deny self means this, that we must on one hand confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and on the other hand, deny ourselves. It's to exalt one and deny the other. What does it mean to deny? It means that as a follower of Christ, one will not put his or her own desires and our own will above the right that Christ now has in our lives when we receive him and when we surrender our life to him. So to accept Christ means to give him full right and access to your life. It means to invite Jesus to reign in your life. So denying self means we allow God to take control and replace our dreams and goals and purpose with his own. It means doing things his way and not our own way any longer. So self-denial is the key to understanding God's will for your life. So if you're in a place in life, you're like, man, I wonder what God's will is for my life. The first step is to get out of the way, is to deny yourself so you can clearly see, you can clearly hear. We all struggle with the thought of another controlling us, even if it's Jesus. We like the independent feeling of control. Uh, The deciding for ourselves, the when, the what, the where, the hows of life. Becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ begins right here with this very point. It's a matter of saying the words, I give up. 
I need you. Do you find yourself at a place in life or have you where you've been able to say those words in a genuine sense? Lord Jesus, I give up. I've tried this on my own for so long. It's the difference of one person saying this. I would rather live on my feet than die on my knees. And another person saying this, I would rather die on my knees than live on my feet. The second sub point is don't run from the hard things. Verse 34, whoever wants to be my disciple must, there's three must, deny themselves, and here's the second one, take up the cross. So Luke, if you were to read this in the gospel of Luke, um, adds to, the, uh, to his gospel the word daily. It takes, one, it takes it a step further, it ramps it up. The word daily is not meant to be uh, symbolic or generic, rather it is literal in the Gospel of Luke, meaning that the Christian life is a daily surrendering. Have you discovered that yet? Because it's like, oh, I'm gonna go home from church today and I'm gonna surrender my life and I'm gonna deny myself and I'll be good to go for the rest of my life or at least for a week or two or a month. And, and there's, it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work. That's why Luke says it's daily. Sometimes, sometimes multiple times a day. You know what I mean? A giving up of my life for his life. A daily exchange. It's a daily self-sacrificing, a process of laying down our lives on their altar. It goes against every notion in us to get ahead. It goes against everything in us to take control, to work really hard, and then to ask God, God, I need your help. Please hear me. It's not that we shouldn't do that. But that's when we try and we try and we try and we try and we try all on our own, and then finally we turn to God. If I give up before I start, then that means that God will have to lead me from the get-go. That would mean that God helps those who can't help themselves. That would make me look weak and helpless and in need of God. What if we were just to pause every morning before we do anything? Or maybe drink your coffee first, but anything else. You just, you just were to pause. Even just for a few minutes and sit before the Lord. Because we have a daily decision to make. And the decision is this, will I carry my cross today? The self-denial that Jesus spoke of first is emphasized here by our action of taking up our cross. So a condemned criminal was forced to carry the cross beam part of his cross to the place of execution. And the criminal was on a one-way journey, no coming back. He would never be able to go back. 
To take up our cross means to live each day not for ourselves, but for Christ. When Jesus carried his cross through the streets of Rome, it meant that he was publicly saying to everyone else there who was watching him drag his cross all the way to Calvary, he was saying to everyone there, he was sending a loud, very clear message, I am guilty of what you are charging me with. I agree with you. You're charging me because I said I'm a Messiah, the savior of the world, that is true. I'm carrying my cross to prove it. And as you and I take up our cross, it means that we are to publicly identify our lives with Christ. Cross-bearing means that every decision I make, I make it realizing that I have chosen to identify my life with Jesus. Cross-bearing means that every action I take I must do so not forgetting that I'm carrying my cross. The cross is a symbol of identification. So then we have to wrestle with the question personally, what am I identifying my life with? We all have things we identify ourselves with, things in our life that we are known for, things others can relate to us by. What is it that we are trying so hard for? What is it that is exhausting us? Our identity is a constant pursuit in this life. The favor of men is not my purpose. The favor of God is. I hope and pray that that is all of our goals. The third sub point, follow the leader. Whoever wants to be my disciple must, one, deny themselves, must take up the cross and must follow me. So to come after means this uh, directional decision to follow is to allow Christ to be positioned in our lives as the singular most important focus and pursuit. It's on the journey where we experience um, true peace in this life. It's in the valleys when we learn to trust him. It's on the road of becoming a disciple that we begin to comprehend the forgiveness that he offers us and the freedom that we get to experience. We must move on. Remember what Jesus said? Are you gonna come with me? Because you cannot stay where you are and go with Jesus. Jesus said in a similar way in John 15, when he used the word abide, which means to remain, to stay, to continue, to endure, the three musts, deny self, identify your life with him and follow him. What if we try and reconcile these two ideas? So, so just think about these two main ideas so far. God helps those who help themselves, idea number one. Idea number two, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I don't even know where to begin. How do you take those two ideas, those two concepts and, and, and smash them together and get them to work together? They, there's no way. Secondly, die to live, verse 35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Can you imagine being in the crowd that day? Imagine that you got your coffee and you're kind of, you're out for a morning stroll and, and you're kind of minding your own business. You're looking forward to a great day. And then all of a sudden you hear Jesus 
He's telling all these wonderful stories and then all of a sudden, Jesus, through his words, puts your entire life into perspective in just a couple of sentences. And you just happen to hear, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. He just finishes teaching his disciples three things that they must do should they come after him. And as if that wasn't enough, he drops this, this other bomb, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will, will save it. But how can that statement possibly be true? If you and I were to live according to that philosophy of life, we would get nowhere. How can we possibly lose our life and still come out ahead? What happened to this is your life, do with it what you want? Jesus says that if you want success in this life, you must lose it. Losing one's life was a reality for Jesus. It was also a good possibility, I'm talking about in the physical sense, it was also a good possibility for his disciples. So yes, there's, there's included in this phrase, whoever loses his life, a possibility of physical death because of one's commitment to Christ. Over 100,000 people a year around this world because of their faith alone, 100,000 plus people, that is a reality for them, they lose their life. They're killed. They're a martyr. But the main message here was not about the possibility of losing their, their physical life. It was, it was this idea of losing one's spiritual life as a result of trying to keep one's physical life. That a person would work so hard to keep their physical life that they would lose their spiritual life. When our focus is so intent on ourselves and keeping ourselves filled with pleasure, instead of sacrifice, and we're so focused on being comfortable instead of being committed, then we risk the chance of losing eternal life. To gain what? So I'm using the age 80 as, I think the older I get, I keep bumping this up, but I'm gonna use 80, average lifespan. For what? For, for what? 80 years of the good life? 80 years of happiness and pleasure? 80 years of personal accomplishments? 80 years of making a name for self? Is that what it's for? It's quite a paradox. To live is to die and to die is to live. You have not lived until you die. That is to self. In the movie, Simon Birch. Anybody remember that movie? That's been years ago, but it was, it, was a, it was a good movie. And there was a statement made, when someone dies, you never lose them all at once. Rather, you lose them little by little over time. Dying to self never happens all at once. It's a matter of dying little by little over time. It's not an excuse to hang on to self. It is a reality of the fleshly dying process. Three, weigh the cost, verse 36 to 38. Verse 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? So a good rhetorical question, what good would it be for a person to have all of the power, imagine having all the power, all the financial control of the entire world of which Satan is the head, 
but lose his or her soul and eternal life with God. A person who has, who has not God gains nothing and loses everything. Satan offered Jesus this very thing in the wilderness. He took him on a high mountain, showed him all of the kingdoms. He said, Jesus, look at all these kingdoms. Look at all the splendor. All of this I will give you. He said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus responded by saying, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 37, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? How much is your soul worth? Is it worth power? Is it worth pleasure? Is it worth possessions? The temporary things of this earth cannot be exchanged for the soul. The answer is nothing is of great enough value to exchange your soul. Verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. Wow, what a way to end. Jesus ends his message with a profound statement. If you live your life for yourself, chasing after what you believe is more valuable than your soul. Jesus, when he returns, will be ashamed of them, meaning they will be rejected from eternal life. The word ashamed, just a clarity, I got just two more sentences here. The word ashamed means more than embarrassment in the Bible. It refers to judgment and a deep sense of repentance, that they may be ashamed of their sins. So it would go like this. If anyone is ashamed of repentance, I will be ashamed through judgment. This is a lot to digest. But to bring it all home, I leave you with the one thing. Are you living to die or are you dying to live? And then my, my absolute favorite verse in all of scripture, when Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, this is the NLT version. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God, thank you for the power of your word, the truth of your word. It's a pretty profound passage of scripture. But Lord, this idea of there has to be less of me, that we must deny ourselves, we must learn to identify our life with you and we must to directionally follow you, to listen for your voice. God, there's so much noise. There's so much in the way in this life. Lord, would you just help us to, to quiet ourselves? Our mind is racing all the time. Our heart has so many longings and wants and desires. 
Lord, I wanna ask that you would help us before we try to help ourselves, that you would help us just to be quiet in your presence and begin to reflect and ponder and what is this idea of exchanging? Lord, we want your life, not our own. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.